Well, y'all, we are kicking off a brand new series today called Heaven, and I hope this series helps inform us on what heaven really is like. And so in our culture, there's a fascination about heaven, and there's jokes, and we use the word heaven in some of the phrases and idioms that we use. And then it's also in the music that we listen to. So here's this joke, and maybe you've heard of this, but there are three guys. There's a mathematician, a philosopher, and a lawyer. They get to heaven, and Peter is in a room off to the side by the pearly gates. And he invites all three of them to come in, and he's like, there is a question. If you get this question right, you're able to go to heaven. So first one goes in, the mathematician. Peter asked him, he said, what is two plus two? And the mathematician, he thinks about it for a second. He said, listen, assuming all number values are accounted for, knowing this is eternity, (laughs) and there are no variables to solve for the answer, I believe it's four. And Peter says, yes, absolutely, you're in. Sigh of relief. And then the philosopher, he's pulled into the room, and Peter asks him, he said, what's two plus two? You get this right, you're in heaven. And the philosopher, he, he thinks about it for a second. He thinks about it for another second. And he says to Peter, he said, assuming you're assigning the arbitrary values to these symbols that we created on earth, and assuming that you and I agree to accept those values, the answer is four. And St. Peter kind of rolls his eyes and is like, okay, you're, you're in. You're good to go. And then he calls in the lawyer. He says, I need you to sit down. I need you to answer this question. What is two plus two? So the lawyer, he shuts the door. He gets over to the shades, close the shades. He leans over to Peter and he whispers in his ear, what do you want it to be? <laughs> See, our culture has this fascination about heaven. And it's not a religious thing. It's a people thing. It's, it's something in all of us we think about heaven. It permeates our culture in many ways. If you think about our language and our references to heaven. How about this one? If all things kind of work together between a man and a woman, and if things go really well together, we say it's a match made in, yeah, heaven. If someone experiences a special time in their lives, we say they've died and gone to heaven. If you did something difficult for somebody, you tell them, hey, this is really hard. I had to move heaven and earth. And my wife's from South Carolina. I love when she comes back home after she's visiting with family. Like Coke is like three syllables. It's, it's just so, I think to me, it's cute. And so she And her family have said things like this, for heaven's sake, in hog heaven, stinks to the high heaven. Yeah. You know, even our music portrays various cultural perspectives on heaven too. Bob Dylan was knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door while Bruno Mars gave up because he was locked out of heaven by a girl. Led Zeppelin, they were on their way, on their stairway to heaven. And ACDC was on the highway to hell. Now, I'm sure, like you, we think about heaven. And maybe we think about it often. There was a poll that was done, and it said that people think about heaven three to four times a month. I think that's a little low. Maybe because of my profession. Because in my profession, I'm constantly thinking about death. And, And not my death, but think of other people that life hangs on the balance. There are times where I'm called to 
go to the hospital and someone is on their deathbed. I get a call that someone had a horrible accident. Like I constantly think that life is always on the balance because people are not guaranteed tomorrow. Like there's surgeries, there's women giving birth and their babies being placed in the NICU. There are hospital visits. There are lifestyle choices that some of us make that are very dangerous. And then also seasoned adults. And some of us are not getting any younger. So, so the question I want us to ask and, and think about is this. What do you think about when you think about heaven? What, what do you think about when you think about heaven? And there's a lot of interest in heaven. There's a lot of information about heaven. There's a lot of things said about heaven. But there's also a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of guessing. There's a lot of confusion about it as well. And even among Christians, there's differences of opinion on what heaven is like, on how we're going to experience the heaven and, and what it's going to be like and who's going to be there. There's a lot of confusion about it. And the problem is not we don't, the problem is not that we don't think about it enough, it's that we don't think enough about heaven. See, most people don't have a good picture of the true realities of heaven. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Many of us, we were sold a picture of heaven that isn't very attractive. It is not very inspiring. I mean, for some of us, we were told that we have to stand before an angel or maybe a saint, and they're going to weigh our good deeds and our bad deeds. Or maybe you were told or you were taught that some of us, we're going to be in these mansions of gold based on how good we did. For others of us, we're wondering who our neighbor is going to be because we really hope that it's not the person we work with. We really hope it's not the HOA person. We're really hoping it's not this person. For many of us, we've been told that there's this throne and a lamb sits on that throne and that lamb is a reference to Jesus. And the thing that's so terrifying to some of us is that we were told or we were taught that we're going to be singing all day long, all night long, 24-7, all we will do, is sing. And that is terrifying for some of us. For some of us, we don't like the idea of crowds. We think it's too much. So what we would like to do over the next few weeks is we would like to explore the realities of heaven explained by Jesus. We're going to look at what he said about heaven. He's very familiar with heaven, and we ought to pay attention to what he said about heaven. And we're going to look at three conversations, and we're going to do it in reverse order that Jesus had with people about heaven. So the first is actually on the day of his crucifixion. Jesus is nailed to a cross between two convicted criminals. And this is what Luke wrote as he was interviewing eyewitnesses. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you God's king? Save yourself. And then save us. See, this criminal was scoffing at Jesus because he didn't understand how the mighty, powerful Messiah could be crucified and be hanging next to him. Kings were not on crosses. Kings were the ones that dictated who were on the cross. In so many words, this criminal is wanting Jesus to prove his power to save himself from death and then get down off the cross and then save them. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? 
since you are under the same sentence, we are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And we don't know what made him say that. We don't know what he saw that caused him to say this, but here's a few things we do know. It's very possible that he witnessed what Pilate said. Pilate said, this man is innocent. But yet the crowd uh, cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Maybe he saw that. Maybe he saw Jesus didn't resist. Jesus didn't resist at all. I don't know. There was something about it that this thief thought, man, this criminal thought, man, that Jesus is innocent. But he understood two things that you and I, we need to understand. Especially to have a healthy relationship with God. This criminal understood two things. Number one, he understood that he was guilty. And number two, that Jesus was innocent. He understood that he was paying a price for a crime in which he was guilty. Jesus is paying a price for crimes he was innocent. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe you're this king. We be- I believe that you're this Messiah. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, the first reality is that heaven is a place Jesus' followers go when they die. Specifically, when you and I seek forgiveness for our guiltiness, our guilt, our sin, when we seek forgiveness of our sin, we also recognize that we're guilty and Jesus is innocent. He's the one that lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died and he rose from the dead to provide us eternal life. See, Jesus assures the repentant criminal that heaven or paradise was as close as that very afternoon for him. And then we're going to go back in reverse order. And right before Jesus was betrayed, he has this conversation with his closest followers about heaven. And this is what Jesus says. And John records this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be fearsome. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, look, if you've seen, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You believe in God, you believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And this Second reality of heaven is Jesus talking not about where you go when you die, but a place his followers will spend eternity with him. Then we're going to go to the third conversation that Jesus has about heaven. And it's in the context of Jesus talking about prayer. This is what Matthew records. Jesus says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the third reality of heaven. There is a way that we can experience or participate in heaven right now. 
in the here and now. It's less about a place that you go and more about an experience that you have with someone. It's not just something we experience after death. It's that something we can also experience right now. It's a both and. And so Jesus describes the three realities of heaven. Number one, it's now. It's in another place. It happens when you die. Number two, it's here, but at another time where we're going to spend eternity, and we're going to unpack that today. And then here and now is another way. It's how we participate in heaven right now. Okay, so Jesus is speaking in the context of the Hebrews' understanding of time. The Old Testament prophets, Jesus, and the New Testament writers all spoke of time in the same way. In Matthew 12, Jesus is warning the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the religious elite, that their actions will have an impact both in this age and in the age to come. He's letting the religious elite know that what they do now will echo into eternity. When Jesus divides time, did you catch that? In two phases, in two pieces. Current age and in the age to come. So here's a visual of what some of us think of the age to come is, would look like. Some of you are wondering why I said heaven would be here at another time. The Bible talks about that place as being prepared and one day it will descend out of the sky and we're going to experience a new heaven and a new earth. Now let's notice what John writes and this is in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. That's interesting. Uh, I, may, I may talk about that in a second. He says, I saw the holy city in the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Have you ever been to a wedding? The bride walks in. What do people do? Oh man, they're ooing and aahing. They're saying how beautiful she is. This is what this is like. This is, John's like, this is breathtaking. This is going to be breathtaking. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. John's letting us know that there is going to be a change from this age to the age to come. The nature, the timing of the events of these two ages are often debated. And I've talked about them. I've addressed some of them. We talked about like the rapture, the millennium, the final judgments. And next week we're going to look at a deep, we're going to take a closer look at this age. And then the following week we're going to explain what we know about the age to come. Now I want to call a quick timeout. I believe something else is going on here. Going back to Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this age and the age to come. Jesus is being accused of being God because he claims that he can forgive sins. He cast out demons. He forgives sins. The religious leaders cannot believe it. And Jesus, instead of using some terms that 
was commonly used to, de- to define like a season of time or an era or an age, he decides to use an interesting term. Jesus says in this age, in the age to come, the word age, instead of chronos or karos, he decides to use ion. Ion means age, world, life. And I believe that Jesus is using it because Ion is a proper name of a Roman deity from the Hellenistic period, about 300 years before Christ, whose origins are in Greek mythology. So here's a picture of Ion. Ion was the god of the ages. He was also referred to as the father, king of the universe, god of gods, lord of all. He's in this picture and you see this ring. That ring is the 12 zodiac signs. It's showing that he's the center of the universe. He's looking over Mother Earth and her four children, the four seasons. Summer, summer, fall, winter, spring. Also notice that he's standing between two trees. A green one that represents life. Brown one that represents death. Jesus shows up. He specifically, I believe, uses this word to show that he's the ultimate authority in this age. He's the ultimate authority over time. He's the ultimate authority in this world, in this time, and also in the age to come, that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And John shared Jesus' message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus can give life, and he can give eternal life. This, this is why coming to an understanding or coming to the best understanding of the realities of heaven is so important. This is why it's so important to get this right. So here's a couple takeaways from this morning. One, your perspective of heaven impacts how you will live on earth. Not that it can, not that it might, but it has. It will impact how you live in a manner far bigger than you think it does. Your perspective of heaven impacts how you will live on earth. Now, consequently, how you live on earth impacts how you will experience heaven. And we're going to talk about this statement in more in the coming weeks. Another takeaway. We live toward what we look forward to in life. We look toward what we look forward to in life. Some of us, we are looking forward to getting married. We are looking to having kids. We are looking to earning that promotion. For some of us, we're looking for the next vacation. We're looking for retirement. Listen, all of those things impact, dictates how you're living now. The more you look forward to something, the more you live in that direction. The more time, effort, energy, finances, and behaviors are leveraged in that direction. And the truth is that some of us in this room, some of us watching online, we have lived towards something for a very long time only to arrive and find out that you've sacrificed and it was not worth it. It was not worth the sacrifice. It was not worth the money. It was not worth the time. It was not worth the behavior. It was not worth the effort. It wasn't worth it. And Paul reminds us, especially as we follow Jesus as our king. 
He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. If you identify with Christ, we ought to be thinking about the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's letting us know, man, we ought to live our life on earth with, with our mind and our heart fixated on what is to come. And this is why it's so important to see Jesus as king. Paul's saying to fix our mind on heaven because that's where we are destined for. This is the eternity that's promised to you and I with everlasting life. We look forward to it because it will change the way that we live here and now. Here's the question I want us to think about as we leave today. If you really believed and acted as if it was true that you have eternal, everlasting, abundant life ahead of you guaranteed, how would that change how you live this life here and now? Like, what are you looking forward to most? Because whatever that is, however you would answer that, that is what you're living toward the most. Guys, you owe it to yourself. I owe it to myself to ensure that it's something worthy of devoting my life to. I believe it has anything to do with Jesus. I believe that is worthy of our devotion of what we're devoting our time, our money, and our resources to. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this unique opportunity to learn and listen to what Jesus had to say about heaven. Allow us to leave today with our hearts and our minds set on the things above. Forgive us for making this life and the here and now about us. I ask that you will set our hearts right and our minds right. Father, I ask that you will prepare us for eternity. Prepare our hearts and our minds. For those of us in the room or, or watching online who are yet followers of Jesus, I ask that we will be able to resonate with that convicted criminal. He understood that he was guilty and Jesus was innocent. Help us to do the same because that is the starting point when it comes to a faith in Jesus. We're guilty. He's innocent. He lived the life we should have, we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And he came back from the dead to provide us eternal life. Help those who are on the fence to embrace that. In Jesus' name, amen.